The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to contains spoilers for Squid Game. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Okay, right. What, what are we talking about this week? Well, we just finished watching Squid Game, just like everybody else in, in the world. I, I don't like spoiling it. We're, we're going to in this episode, obviously. Uh, but my, I keep talking about it in class, and my students keep asking me, what's Squid Game? And I don't want to spoil it. So I tell them some people play ping pong with a squid. Um, oh, poor squid. I'm, I'm hoping they don't believe me. <laughs> Yeah, lots of philosophical content there, and so we thought it'd be fun to talk about it, since probably a good chunk of our listeners have watched it. Yeah, great. Yeah, a good chunk of everyone has. So what I was thinking as I started thinking about, well, how do we want to introduce this topic on the show? I thought um, what they're doing in Squid Game, or at least one interpretation of what they're doing in Squid Game, is creating kind of a hypothetical thought experiment that gets us to think about socioeconomic justice. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we're good about thinking about issues of socioeconomic justice when they're put to us in thought experiment form. Right, right. Um, Put an injustice right in front of someone's nose, the chance that they see it. (laughs) I don't know, 50, 50, 20%, yeah. something like that. That they see it or that they care about it. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, when, when I talk to my, when I, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to pin this on my students, but when I talk to my students or when you talk to others that aren't students about, say, Rawls' veil of ignorance, mm-hmm. and you talk about, well, what would rationally self-interested people agree to from behind a veil of ignorance if they don't know anything about their particulars? And uh, people be off to the races coming up with, Fairly similar things to what Rawls would say, you know, that mm-hmm. they, or at least they'll, they're willing to rapidly assent to what, to what Rawls says. Yeah, right. um, a lot of intuitive support for the idea that that's, that's sort of a fair way to go about things. But then a lot of those very, very same people would, in their regular lives, uh, just take everything they can get, you know, not particularly care whether... Uh, about homelessness or about um, people starving in developing nations or or whatever the, mm-hmm. about the kinds of extreme uh, instances of socioeconomic socioeconomic injustice that that we see in the world all the time. Yeah, if, if I can just offer maybe one um, class of examples to support what you're saying, one of the mm-hmm. sort of more egregious things that um, is coming out of the pandemic is. Um, people being furious that there aren't enough workers, Mm -hmm. um, low-wage workers at the places that they like to go. Mm -hmm. So, for example, some restaurants we go to um, close at 8 at night instead of 10. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't always delivery people. There are sometimes Mm -hmm. fewer um, people working at the supermarket. And um, 
some people are just, you know, out of their minds furious about this. And they mm -hmm. and they blame, you know, the Economic Recovery Act, right? That, well, we're, we're extending unemployment benefits. And these awful people would rather, um, you know, not work and draw a check than come in and, and work and earn more money, right? So the, the idea is that, yeah, there's this sort of economic injustice right in front of them, which is an awful lot of people um, are working, you know, at wages far less than a living wage, mm -hmm. such that, you know, you could even tell them over and over, they may have to work three jobs to pay rent, have a kid, put food on the table, mm -hmm. and and so forth. Um, and this is just sort of lost. What what really stands out is, I tried to order a pizza after eight at night, but they didn't have any delivery people, so I couldn't. And then interestingly, in the news in the last week or so, it's come to bear that once the employment um, benefits ran out, people still weren't willing to work as many mm -hmm. jobs as, as we need them to. So it's a yeah kind of a great example of real injustice right in front of them and, and people are, are bothered by the slight bit of inconvenience that they might experience, right? Domino's wasn't delivering, so they went to Pizza Hut. Yeah, middle, ah. middle class or wealthy people um, just seem to take it as a given that some people have an obligation to work low-wage low jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so as if the goods in life are fundamentally different for, for, for poor people than they are for middle class and rich people. It's just, yeah, it's awful. So, so how does this apply to Squid Game? Well, you've got all these people down and out who get picked to participate in this game where they're competing against one another for money. Mm -hmm. And every time one of them dies, there's this giant piggy bank that's hanging from the ceiling in the room where they spend most of their time. And every time one of them dies, the piggy bank fills with more money. Mm -hmm. And at one point, they, they all vote to leave. Yeah, it's an interesting twist that there's always an option. Where to, the majority to, wants to leave. To leave. Right, even, even if there's three people left, if two of them want to leave. And if they do, then the money goes to the families of the deceased mm -hmm. um, players of the game. Right. Um, and, and then they're given the option to choose to come back. And so, in a sense, this is voluntary. But then this raises questions for what really counts as voluntary. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, we, we love our fully free and informed consent to things, right? Um so, uh, uh, yeah, in, in Squid Game, the people after the first game do vote to leave. Um, and then they overwhelmingly vote to come back or they, mm -hmm. they, they opt back in. Right, it's just a very small number, like in the, like a dozen or something. I might be remembering that incorrectly, mm -hmm. but I think it's just a very small number that doesn't choose to come back. Right. So the people that are doing the game say, well, they're, they're here of their own free will. Um, but it's extremely coercive, right? They find mm -hmm. the most down and out people. Um, dangle the possibility of, of having their you know financial debts erased, offered great wealth. So it's you know it's not just a bunch of greedy people wanting to get um, wealthy. It, it's people that have insurmountable problems otherwise. Right. It's an inherently coercive situation. And you might think to apply this to what you were saying before that poverty is inherently coercive. So what jobs you take? You know, it's not like people. You know, here's people out there getting angry that there aren't enough waitresses and there aren't enough delivery persons and, that, you know, whatever. Um, poverty is inherently coercive. So it's not as if these people want to work for... They, they want to be low-wage earners 
because they love the work so much. Mm-hmm. It's because that's where, for whatever reason, at that point in their life, the kind of employment they can land. Right, right. Um, and and you need to be employed to put food on the table. Period. <laughs> it's not not yeah, for the that, great joy of that kind of employment. The handful of exceptions to that are people who are sort of glad to make nothing or next to nothing in pursuit of some greater reward. So an artist might willingly starve mm-hmm. um, in hopes of being a famous sculptor right. someday or, or something. Yeah, but I have that's more in a... mind exploitative low-wage work where yeah. you're not working for yourself and your own values. You're you're working toward the interests and ends of some other entity. Yeah, yeah. Mine was sort of a very different situation where you, you might willingly choose that. Um, but, for example, in my own case, when, when I was in college and I was on my own and um, I wasn't you know, getting the support from my family, um, I spent um, an awful lot of hours as a phone solicitor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for a while, too. Yeah, nobody would just do that, right? I mean, you mm. might be able to convince... Oh, it's the most dehumanizing work ever. Some people yeah, that they, they love their menial job, right? Um, in the, the movie um, Cadillac Man, Robin Williams sells cars. because I love to sell, right? He, <laughs> It's like hunting or something. He likes the thrill of making the sale. So they've, they've convinced this low-level worker that, that he's onto something good. Um, but it's not true of people who bust tables, um, which was also me for a while in college. I was um, a server for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not true of phone solicitors. It's you know, not true of um, people that, that you know, do backbreaking work where you don't get to create. You don't build the nice right. house. You're right. just digging or some such. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so this, this has to do with identifying the goods of life, you know, that, that, uh, well, we'll talk about this later about too, about, um, what it is that's worth living for. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and working for some corporate entity and being a cog in their machine is frequently not the kind of thing that's worth living for, for its own sake. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, you got to have the money, and the money should be decent. No. So, so anyway. Um, so, Squid Game. They're they're in the game, and they're <clears throat> they're of their own free will, but not really because they're they're coerced, right? Um, greatly. Right. So, the conclusion when the when the folks come back to participate in the game again after they've been allowed to go home, the conclusion that they draw is that. In many ways, and here's the metaphor of the whole show, in many ways, the, the squid game is not that different from their ordinary lives, mm-hmm. that in their ordinary lives, they are competing for resources with fellow persons, and um, and they always end up, uh, you know, with the short end of the stick, that at least, and, and, and there's all sorts of misery and suffering that happens as a result. And this is even after they realize that if, they, you know, they, there's this initial game, it's red light, green light, and all the people that get to the end without violating the rules um, stay alive and those that don't get shot, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what they conclude is that essentially is that at least in the Squid Game, there's some sort of rules where you're guaranteed to progress forward if you follow them. Whereas in the real world, it may seem as if there are a set of rules that will guarantee some success, but our actual existence is so absurd and arbitrary that often those rules, you know, if you do everything right and you're still screwed. Yeah, a handful of truisms that they don't extend to most people. So mm-hmm. if you're born into great wealth, you're probably going to be wealthy, right? Yeah. That's, that's a good right. truism. By the way, about red light, green light, I'd just like to point out 
um, because my last name is Green, when I was a, a kid, this is true, I felt like I had a competitive advantage. I always <laughs> thought I was a little better at red light, green light than other people, even though I didn't run as fast as a lot of the kids and I frequently would get caught or just not make it in time if, if there was a time limit. Um, but it, it, it wasn't until many years later, maybe into my early 60s, no. that, that I realized I had false beliefs about how good I was at red light, green light. And it's a different spelling of green. And I should have, I should have. That, well, that's what, that's, that. that's what made the difference. Yeah. So I think that there are some philosophical notions at play in Squid Game that, uh, you know, map the discussion of these same sorts of things in, in um, philosophical writing. So, I was thinking a lot about the Republic mm-hmm. when I when I was watching Squid Game. I thought you were going to go with Hobbes and say, in the Squid Game, life is solitary, poor, nasty, British, and short. Well, I was thinking about the social contract. We'll talk about yeah, that yeah. later. But, but, we'll, but we'll go with the Republic. Right, right. And we'll do that more social contract type approach. Yeah, so, so I was thinking about the... Um, the, the Glaucon's challenge and the discussion in the Republic of why one ought to be moral. Mm-hmm. And, right, and, and especially when it's not in one's self-interest, too, mm-hmm. right, which Squid Game nicely highlights. So Glaucon, one of the participants in the conversation in the Republic, says, uh, tells this story of the Ring of Gyges, which we've talked about before on the show. It's inspired lots of other pop culture. Um, so this, this person can put on a ring and when they put on the ring, they're invisible. I wish they would make a movie about (laughs) someone that has a ring that makes them invisible. (laughs) Or a book. And it it corrupts them. Um, but so, so how would one act if one was wearing such a ring? Because you'd be invisible. You could do whatever you wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, Glaucon thinks that you would be act, uh, behave badly with impunity because if there are no consequences to your actions, why not? That the only the only thing that prevents us from behaving badly is the consequences. Yeah, to to be moral, right? The, the path of that is to be moral is um, this kind of burden that we're stuck with. Mm-hmm. You remove the burden, right? The mm-hmm. the consequences. Nobody would be moral. You, yeah, you would be a dang burn fool. Right? <laughs> You're stealing money. You're sexually assaulting people in Glaucon's story. So you're wearing the ring. Driving on the train tracks and ordering pancakes from the police, just to use the, the example from Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day. <laughs> um, so the best instance of it, of it all for sure. So uh, in certain ways, the squid game functions as an invisible ring, not because uh, anybody's invisible or can, or in the confines of the game can, um, do the things that they do without other people seeing them, but rather they start to realize that only one of them is going to make it out of there alive. And so only one of them is going to uh, have a story to tell or is going to be around to tell a story and it can be whatever story he or she wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or no story at <laughs> or all. No story like at the, all. The people that host the game have an interest in, in, in not going on right at one point it's revealed um, or not being exposed. They have an interest in it going on. And at one point it's revealed that, you know, there's many years of it, right? So they're not going to say anything. The person gets out and has a bunch of money. And mm-hmm. for all people know, they found it on the street. 
Yeah, probably not that much money, but they, yeah, they yeah. inherited it. They, whatever. Yeah. But um, nobody has to know how much they have either. Right. 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 So, right. So, uh, so there, there are essentially no consequences. Um, the only consequence, at least as some people see it this way in the show, the only consequence is that they either end up with the money or they end up dead. So, mm-hmm. Why not? At a certain point, people start behaving pretty ruthlessly. They start, you know, once they realize that the more people that are dead, the fewer that people there are to compete with, um, the more money is in the piggy bank, uh, they start killing each other, even outside of the game itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and initially in the, in the game, they're not killing each other. They're just the people that fail the game are being killed by the, yeah. the, the, the people that run the game. And they enter into groups and they try to protect one another and they form friendships and or alliances. And then they start to realize, oh, it's all, all you know, yeah, it's, for themselves. It's a very um, clever strategy on the part of the main character to let the sort of, at that point, main antagonist um, know the people in your group might want to kill you because they think you're strong and powerful. Mm-hmm. And then he instantly starts turning on them. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, he was easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, in this situation where there are no consequences, people are going to behave ruthlessly. And then, so then, the, so, so uh, but the main character in, in, in the main character in the Republic is Socrates. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the main character in Squid Game is much like Socrates and similarly takes the approach that um, even though he's a real screw up uh, outside of the context of Squid Game, uh, that virtue is good for its own sake. Mm-hmm. They care, you know, caring and being compassionate toward others is good for its own sake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they've got this juxtaposition between the characters who behave purely selfishly and this character that's going to behave altruistically. Right, right. And this is the tension that we see in, in the Republic, right? That, um, you know, it's this idea is, you know, what is the value of morality? Um, why be moral? Well, if morality is intrinsic good, then that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if the if the response is morality is only instrumentally good, then when I can do bad things with impunity, mm-hmm. I have no reason not to. Mm-hmm. So we get this nice juxtaposition between the Socratic character, who essentially um, at one point has a lot to gain from being moral. We can come back to it, um, and, or from being unethical. And chooses not to. Chooses mm-hmm. to do the right thing for the right mm-hmm. sake. Um, and he's contrasted at that exact moment with somebody that just purely wants the value of behaving um, you know, badly because he can do this with impunity. And right? get the good consequences and from it. Get the good consequences, yeah. So it's not the good consequences of being moral. It's that in the situation when there are no good consequences for being moral, mm-hmm. this person's not going to be, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the... Mm-hmm. The nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was noticing that, you know, since we're talking about Plato's Republic, um, Glaucon makes three arguments. Um, uh, one of them is a story about the origin of justice, right? And he describes what things are like in a state of nature. Um, one of them is this story that we just talked about, about the Ring of Gyges. And another is this sort of comparison between a, a perfectly just person um, and a perfectly unjust person, right? And the unjust person has a reputation for justice, so they get all the instrumental value of being moral. And the perfectly just person uh, has a, a bad reputation, so they only get the intrinsic value. 
And I thought um, Squid Game nicely exemplifies all those aspects. So we've talked mm-hmm. about the ring of Gyges, and we've mentioned the state of nature a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is essentially this kind of thought experiment that they're, they're in mm-hmm. the state of nature within the game. There's no laws. There's no rules, right? There's, there's rules to the particular games they play. But in between the games, they can kill each other. You know, they can do whatever they want. Form alliances, not form alliances. Um, and then uh, right at the end, when the um, the Socratic character is about to win the game, right, all he has to do is step the person he's competing with is incapacitated, you know, 100 meters away. And he realizes that if he does that, the other person will be killed. And he doesn't want any part of that. Or he even just needs to step inside the squid game circle. That's what I'm saying. He needs to just take oh, I thought one... you said stab. Oh, oh no, okay. step. He needs to oh, take okay. one mm-hmm. step mm-hmm. Um, and and he can't do it, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so here is this person that's shunning all the consequences mm-hmm. that come from the unethical parts of the game, mm-hmm. the, the riches, the, you know. I have no idea how much money it is because it's... it's <laughs> Like a forty-eight a billion something, or four hundred eighty yeah. billion something, but yeah. But it, given that ten thousand seems like a small amount to borrow, at various points, that that must really not be quite that much money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's not Bezos money, but it's um, you know more money than the mayor of whatever town you live in has. Right? <laughs> Probably enough to get you through the rest of your life. Yeah, um, yeah, and so you know you've got this really unethical person. Um, that would you know, do anything for, for the good consequences. And then you've got this really virtuous person that won't accept any, you know, apparently lifelong riches because um, he, he doesn't want to do bad. So I thought it was, it was sort of a great treatment of book yeah. two of the Republic yeah. where all aspects are there. Right. I, um, also, what's interesting about the main character is that he's behaving this way throughout. And it, one thing that, highlights the fact that he's doing it for the sake of goodness and not for like some sort of self-congratulatory praise seeking is that he doesn't seem to know how good he is. Uh-huh. You know, he seems to think about himself as a screw up and he just acts yeah, yeah. kindly, you know? Right. Uh, he's an adult. He's, um, you know, estranged from his um, former wife and kind of estranged and about to be more estranged from his daughter lives with his mom and um, at the beginning, he's remembering when he was successful and it was, he was a little kid and he was really good at playing Squid Game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, now he, he, he has this kind of self-loathing. And that goes in with what you were talking about earlier, right? I mean, society just puts us on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and you say, oh, what do you do? And they say, I'm just a... And then you just fill in the blank, mm-hmm. right? You're conditioned to think. Mm-hmm. I never achieved my dreams. Yeah. I just took a job. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's funny that the people that, that managed to sort of feel really good about themselves because of their careers. I, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, nothing wrong with, with being one, but people will say, I'm a doctor, right? It's, mm-hmm. um, it's as if you're, you know, on the same status in, in their own minds, at least with, you know, being a Nobel Prize winner or something, mm-hmm. right? We just mm-hmm. condition, oh, so and so's a doctor, so and so's a lawyer. They're great. You know, it's like you get the payoff of that the second you get the job, right? You go to school, mm-hmm. um, and good for you for getting through school, good for you for passing the admissions test and getting into med school, good for you for getting out of it. You should be proud of that. Um, however, the second you have that job, you're not better than 
than everybody else. Mm-hmm. We're in a, in a weird profession where I think a lot of, especially you know, philosophy professors, um, a lot of our peers, um, but not at our, our institutions necessarily, um, you know, walk around as if they're kind of God's gift to the earth mm-hmm. as well. Um, but then there's this thing called imposter syndrome that almost all of us have. And a good chunk of our peers walk around feeling like they're pond scum and frauds. Um, well, that's, a, that's so we're, an interesting we're a mixed point. Bag. I mean, I think like, yeah, society, the, the way we've set society up, like in an ideal world, we could all just pursue our own conceptions of the good. But instead, we're all pitted against one another and we're all competitive against one another. And what we're frequently thinking about is whether we're doing better or worse, we're doing the whole um, looking at what's on somebody else's plate instead of just being content with what's on our own and all of this that's just, you know, um, doing gatekeeping that if once once you've arrived at a certain status, doing what you can to make sure that other people don't arrive at that same status, even though it's not a zero-sum game, just mm-hmm. ah, human nature. I mean, that's that's one of these other things about the, and, and another aspect of um, this book of the Republic, uh, what human nature consists in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, gets explored here, particularly uh, in the last episode, I think, when, uh, I won't say, I'm not going to say too much, just in case people are part of the way through it, but the, the, um, I already just kind of spoiled. Okay, well, the what the heck? Okay, there. Yeah. So there's a, you know, he's 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 betting with someone about whether someone's going to um, save the homeless person in the snow or the drunk person in the mm-hmm. snow who looks like they're going to freeze to death. And yeah. so a couple it's of rich kind of guys ex- looking out the window at this. Yeah, watching it happen and watching the snow snow pile up on this person who's seems to be knocked out from drinking too much. Well, they get help by midnight. Yeah, yeah. This is a, they're betting on whether someone will help them by midnight, and it's I, again, it's the kind of cynical view of human nature compared with the the view. I guess this isn't a view about the the intrinsic value of virtue, but rather a view about whether people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good side ends up winning out. What but, do you think? People inherently good? And, nah. and I'm not asking you this question <laughs> in 2019. I know. I'm asking you this I know. In 2021, nah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what you were saying earlier about people comparing themselves, I don't know if we have time to do that this episode, but I've made an exhaustive list of everybody we've ever met and how they compare. You know, I've just I've just ranked this. Oh, all. well, that'll be useful, I'm sure. So it's in alphabetical order. So there's this guy named Aaron from the second grade. I'm better than him. <laughs> and then there's this guy named Andy. <laughs> I'm not better than him, but you are. <laughs> and then Arnold. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think we have time for the rest of the list. No, nah, it's, it's going to take forever. I'd like forever. to see it sometime. Yeah. Okay, so so what else? Um, people talk about some... There's been a lot of um, analysis, you know, articles written about Squid Game since everybody's enjoying it so much. And one of the critiques that people raise is that it's gratuitously violent. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people really don't need like to watch gratuitous violence, or they don't like to watch violence, and so any violence seems to them gratuitous. Yeah, but some people do like gratuitous violence as well. Yeah, so, love to watch yeah. a Tarantino film or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, um, they enjoy... The, there was a great paper in our Dexter book about um, the abject, mm-hmm. this, this 
notion that like when we watch violence or sexualization, we're forced to think of ourselves as objects. Yeah, that's Aaron Anderson. He was on the list. He's in the A's. Um, <laughs> better than us. But anyway, <laughs> it was a really good paper. Yeah, I always think about it, um, about how it applies to, to some of the things that happen on screen. And I think, um, you know, so it, people respond differently to that. Some people respond with disgust and some people respond I mean, it's, it may be for some like a recognition of the absurdity of our condi- condition that, uh, if, you know, when we're forced to look at ourselves as objects. And then some people mm-hmm. just think it's, you know, like a car chase, like <laughs> um, entertaining. Yeah. So I didn't think the violence was particularly gratuitous, although there was a lot of it. So I'm going to mm-hmm. sort of explain it this way. Um, I, th- I thought the show was attempting to be fairly stylized. You know, the the, the robot um, or whatever it is that in the red light, green light yeah. game, you know, had this kind of anime-esque mm-hmm. feel to it. Uh, and so there was a lot of violence, but it was, it was done in such a way um, that it was almost kind of hideous, right? So I'm thinking like in, um, um, you know, uh, the Tarantino film Django where they um, blow up the three Django guys. Unchained. And, what's that? The, the, Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and they, they, yeah, these three guys blow up, and then you kind of see their heads separating and flying through the air in slow mm-hmm. motion. It, it's cartoony, right? Yeah, it's kind of more like the Evil Dead or something. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and I think they were just they were going for that. So it wasn't like, oh boy, if we make this really violent, everybody's going to want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the violence was absurd. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, there was an awful lot of it. So there's a sense in which it's. Gratuitous, but it, but it struck me as an interesting aesthetic choice, and not just the we'll pack in violence, we'll pack in sex, and well, I also thought it that'll wor- make money or some yeah. such. I also thought it worked for the metaphor. Like you can't do the Squid Game is a metaphor for life if it's not violent. I mean, we may like to try to put it out of our minds, but um, life is extremely violent. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, especially, yeah, right. You're, you're doing a state of nature play as a metaphor for mm-hmm. what life is like. Yeah. Cause it's not very different on the outside from the inside, but yeah. so, you know, the Hobbesian take on this is, you know, in the squid game, life is solitary, poor, um, nasty and short, and short but, yeah. but not brutish, right? That, not. that would, that would stand out. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, it, it needs to be lives ending abruptly and, yeah. Um, the stakes being really high and people being ruthless. And the, the solitary aspect, right? Even when people formed alliances, there was always somebody in each alliance essentially saying, I don't trust you people. You're, you know, you're going to yeah. kill me. Right? And it's, it's, it's this recognition too that you're either going to die alone um, or you're going to leave alone mm-hmm. and solitary in that sense. We, I think you know, sometimes we don't recognize how gory and violent our lives are because we shield us, ourselves from it mm-hmm. um, in, in all sorts of ways. So uh, one place where you can see this really distinctly that where things remain unshielded is uh, in nature, right? In, in, in nature where non-human animals are interacting with other non-human animals, you see grotesque gore all the time, maybe a little less often than you might think you would. You, but the, you came back from your walk yesterday with a story about... Yeah, the, the, a bird had clearly, like... Sorry, viewer or listeners. A bird had clearly, like, ripped open a mouse, and you could see the insides of it. And, like, that's an everyday 
millions or billions of times a day type of occurrence with different when it comes to different species interactions with one another and we're no different we just you know we're almost like um animals that crawl into a hole to die like the the the, the more gory um one might say disgusting or um you know jarring to the senses aspects of our existence as physical things mm-hmm. tends to ap- happen in tucked away places hospitals yeah, yeah. and, and that, that that's i mean that might be part of the cognitive dissonance going on in people who um sorry to bring this up everyone but who don't believe that covid's real mm-hmm. you know because they're not witnessing covid before their very eyes before their very eyes people appear to be healthy and robust mm-hmm. uh, and yet there are people in hospitals having ventilators forced into them mm-hmm. um, to keep them alive. Yeah, to, to go off on a big tangent, but one that I think ties in this with this perfectly, there, there's a reason why now you can't, um, you know, it's actually been made illegal in lots of municipalities, um, take a camera covertly into something like a factory farm, mm-hmm. right? Um, people don't want to see the suffering because of the cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance. Um, you know, where they want to eat the meat and just think, oh, you know, the pig died a, a happy life. So I think we've, we've seen something, you know, analogous to the factory farm situation during COVID mm-hmm. where people we know that um, work in hospitals are screaming, this is bad, right? We don't have enough beds. Death is all around. And, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the COVID deniers somehow managed to not even hear that. Yeah. Right? It's just yeah. like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't no, it's fine. You they know. just say they were just old, or they were just infirm, or mm. whatever. And it... do, do we even know anybody who died? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard this so many times, and yet you know, here I've, I've got friends in the hospital saying it's a horror show. I mean, we, yeah. you've got uh-huh. doctors and nurses and other uh-huh. hospital workers mm-hmm. committing suicide because they can't take any more mm-hmm. of you know what they see on a daily basis. Yeah, um, and yet somehow, yeah, we 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 tuck it away, and and when it spills over, like. It, doing now in hospitals the the you know gratuitous nature of um the badness of life just gets ignored yeah i mean when you so just to your point about you know bringing videotapes into like uh factory farms and meatpacking plants like they're set up so that they just look like buildings and you have no idea what the we just passed one the other day when we were oh yeah and just you know here's a meatpacking plant and no sign of the horrors inside and the other than the, the, the how awful it smelled yeah. yeah 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 we do we tuck it all away and we pretend it doesn't exist and 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 in the squid game you can't do that right and so yeah you could complain about gratuitous violence but how do you have everybody killing one another without gratuitous violence mm-hmm. um, right right <laughs> so yeah. you know maybe maybe this just isn't the show for you <laughs> <laughs> if, if if you would prefer your shows with people killing one another not include gratuitous violence yeah yeah i mean it, it's um this is probably not the show for lots of people mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons I've, I've heard a number of criticisms where people are bothered that they didn't make novel points about um, discrepancies and wealth and things like that. Yeah, that it, that it doesn't doesn't go far enough. Um, I I think the picking up on the the very first thing that you brought up, the the putting it into kind of a thought experiment mm-hmm. and showing that aspect of of how life is for so many people mm-hmm. um, is absolutely brilliant. So mm-hmm. it it should be for everybody, but if but if you don't want to think about those kinds of things if you don't want to see 
harsh realities, then all that's left is a bunch of people playing children games, and then you'll go, I don't know what's so good about that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, this, this is not a message that everybody wants to get. Well, I think this is a, a good point to wrap it up on. Um, and that, I mean, that is, it's, it's, it's distressing that these are conversations that we can't have more directly. Right, right. Uh, that, the, and notice that when the, the shows that are having these conversations, or this show in particular, rises to the very top. I mean, for, for a long time, it was the number one thing on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but, mm-hmm. it, you know. And we kept going, well, I guess we should watch that. It's number one on Netflix. Yeah. And, and shockingly, and, so that the people that made the film never envisioned, or the series never envisioned oh, that kind not. of success. Yeah, of course not. Because it's, I mean, it's, it's dubbed, or you could watch it with subtitles, but it's not in English. And By so, the way, recommendation there. Um, we, we listened to the dub, and the dubbing's at times comical. Some of my students were saying, just do it with subtitles. It's so much better. Mm-hmm. You just... I think maybe this will make me look weak-minded here, but like I, I think by the time you know we were watching Squid Game, like before we went to bed, we'd watch an episode before we went to bed, and by the time I got home, I was so tired <laughs> that there's no way I could have just read the whole the, the episode. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll watch TV or I'll read, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to do both. <laughs> so yes, anyway, uh, we probably should be thinking, uh, you know. In 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 uh, this is just a television show. The the people who are who live or die in a television show aren't real. But the thing that it's a metaphor for mm-hmm. um, is is our real life experience in which people are suffering and dying and 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 in affluent nations and in particular the affluent people in affluent the most affluent people in affluent nations um, are. Are, are arguably no better than the really wealthy people that come to watch the squid game and, and bet on it or whatever, because we're watch, just watch it. We know full well <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that people are struggling. We know full well. And yet our, our voting choices and our um, giving choices and, and, and these types of things, our spending habits, our consumer habits uh, don't reflect a real sense that we care. Or that we're empathetic. Yeah, good. So back to my um, just final point to you know my ranking thing. Um, <laughs> I, I also did it for everything else in the universe, not just us and people. So as far as um, important messages and dystopian nightmares go, mm-hmm. not as good as The Handmaid's Tale, not as profound the, the TV series or the book. Um, but I actually think that the the statements um, ring closer to the truth and are more pertinent than say The Hunger Games, which yeah. makes similar points. Um, you know, I mean, this is a much lower budget thing, but I think they've done something kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, it's tough to beat Margaret Atwood, but... Um, yeah, but I thought that this, if for viewers who have seen both of these things, I thought that this was like a mashup almost of Hostel, the Eli Roth film, yeah. and which The makes Hunger it Games. fun right off the bat, yeah. yeah. But it's doing its own thing too. And who knows if they were inspired by that, because of course this is... Made in a different culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one sort of difference is, you know, the Hunger Games is really powerful people or or city, and um, here it's really rich people are city, and honestly, most of us come into more contact with really rich people than we do really powerful people. Mm-hmm. So for me, the the message sort of nicely rings true. Yeah, although hard to be powerful without being rich. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, right. What are we liking this week? Well, we've been missing Midnight Mass. That's <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly something we've been liking, but that was such a fun one, I thought, and so. There's a void. Yeah. It's an empty spot. It's had a lot of great philosophical issues embedded in it, and I've been talking to my students a lot about it. But uh, I wanted I bring that up to mention that there's going to be another Mike Flanagan thing, which I've liked everything he's done so far as far as the Netflix horror. Those and Oculus and yeah. Hush. And, I mean, just yeah. His, yeah. his resume is looking really impressive at this point. Right. And, and he's, he's maybe the current greatest treasure in horror. Yeah. Um, and you maybe have to go back an awful long Well, way. I'm really liking, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name, um, who did Get Out. And oh, yeah, yeah, Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele's yeah, right. the other one. I don't want to, he seems like such a notable bit of competition to Mike Flanagan, and he's arguably doing something more creative. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just a little better. Um, <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, so, yeah. But we've got a couple of real treasures yeah. right now where, yeah. you know, there was a big gap between the early John Carpenter films and the next set of good ones. Man, we've leveled up. We, uh, we have I, leveled yeah, up. Yeah, people are doing great stuff. I mean, I've, I like John Carpenter, and I've enjoyed... I enjoy... I mean, I think the 80s and... 70s, 80s, and 90s were a great time for horror films, but uh, mm-hmm. people are doing some really creative stuff these days. But... So so the new Flanagan is... Yeah, I was going to say um, murders, uh, murders in the Room Org, I think. Yeah. Um, the Poe mm-hmm. short story... Yeah. Which will be, I mean, it's not, I just listened to it the other day when I was up on the trails. It's not, you know, it took me an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a short little story. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Is it, it, do you know if it's a series, a limited series or? I don't. I just saw that. The, and there's not a lot of characters. Yeah. Hmm. The, the blurb. But, you know, he has a way of expanding things, right? Yeah. So that um, the turning of the screw from right. his version of that had a lot more than was in yeah, that novella. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that'll that'll be good. Um, we're like in Squid Game, but we've just talked about that quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'm coming home from work really tired, like I said. So it's like, oh, let's watch a sh- one show and go to sleep. So we do. Um, so we haven't we haven't had much going on except for that we started the new season of American Horror Story, or mm-hmm. the it's a two parter. It's uh, double. They get called American Horror Story double feature. Right. The first one's about vampires. This one's about aliens, mm-hmm. which I think is a harder theme to carry off. And so far, I'm liking parts of it and disliking other parts of it. Yeah, the, the first episode um, took place in the 50s and in current times. And the first portion of the first episode. Yeah, well, and the and the parts from the 50s were great. And then mm-hmm. the We'll see what happens with the contemporary times. But yeah, I, I don't like, like the, the cast very much, the contemporary. Right. Um, and then we're, we're still um, enjoying Lonely Murders in the Building, um, which will be wrapping up in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. But yeah, not, not, a, not a lot. Oh, wait, we are enjoying something. What? Um, we're enjoying the heck out of the Giants leading the Dodgers. <laughs> In the um, National League Divisional Series of the playoffs. Yes, um, you are enjoying that. I sure am. I, you know, it's, it, they've been the Dodgers whipping <laughs> I wasn't boys even aware of it. my whole entire life. Um, well, you know how at night when we are watching shows, and I've got the game cast on my computer, and <laughs> I don't put it away, and then and then when I either set it down with a big grin on my face, or I swear and bang it, and you know, <laughs> that's what's going on. This is going to be really dated if you're listening to this any year other than. <laughs> yeah, or any time other than October 2021, you're going to go, why is he going on about this? Um, but right now is one of those times where I'm really enjoying sports. Good. 
Okay, rates. Well, that's a wrap. Episode 60 is in the can, and um, we look forward to seeing you again in a couple weeks. By the way, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to our webpage, I think um, and click on the link that says donate, and then you can become one of our Patreon sponsors. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>